She was a funny woman who could really read. She ate her books for breakfast and her name was Mead. She had a brain just like a sponge. When information went in, it was hard to expunge. She does a podcast now, her skills to reassert. She's the speedy, reedy podcast girl of Instant Expert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of Instant Expert, a new podcast about becoming very knowledgeable very quickly. Uh, My name is Chris Mead. I'll be your host and interviewer. And opposite me is my very good friend and wife, Laura Mead. Oh, am I your friend? I am. Yeah, you are. You are my friend. That's so nice. Um, We are starting a new podcast. Uh, We've done a few podcasts in the past. It's true. Together. And all of the podcasts we decide to do are ones where we have to do a huge amount of editing and there are sketches and songs and a huge amount of preparation. And around the dinner table one day, we thought, is there a podcast format we could do where we get just very light editing, where we could just record them and get them up really quickly afterwards? Mm -hmm. And so we came up with this format. Laura, would you like to describe it to our listeners? Okay. All right. So, um... I like reading. I like reading a lot of things very quickly. And I like getting lots of random facts, interesting information that I find cool. And then I like to find reasons to tell people about it, which I suppose could get annoying. Just to calibrate our listeners' expectation as to your reading speed, um, how long did it take you to read all three Lord of the Rings books? One day. Great. So you could read all three of them in a day and retain a lot of what happened within them. Yes, Tom Bombadil. That's from, I haven't read them. The so. first book. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes. So very, very fast. And you retain a lot of it as well, it seems. So, so yeah. So go on with the description. Sorry. I also, when I don't quite know a fact, I'm a bit of a bullshitter. That's true. And so I will make up what I think is close enough to where I'm going. And occasionally I'm quite convincing. Sometimes people get it immediately. Well, get the fact that you're bullshit. That I'm making it up, yeah. yes. Okay. Well, so this is where the format uh, has sprung from. So the idea is that you, the listeners, will pick a new topic for Laura to become an expert on. Then she'll have exactly an hour to research it. And then I'll come back and interview her about it. And the conceit is she will keep pretending to be an absolute expert, even if I move the interview to a place that she doesn't know anything about. And at the end of it, I guess you judge how good she was at being an expert in that topic. Yes, and judge me kindly. Yeah. Oh, do judge her kindly because she's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Also because my ego is as fragile as a children's party balloon in a house full of thumbtacks. Very fragile. Um, I thought there'd be a few rules. I thought... I thought we should put down a few rules. Okay, go on. Lay them on me. Okay. So number one, you'll have it exactly an hour from when we stop recording this intro part of the podcast until we start recording again. Okay. Number two, you can do internet research, book research. You can even ring someone you know, although I know that's a much slower way of getting information into your brain, but that's all available to you. Okay, cool. Number three, you can take notes but only pen and paper, one side of A4. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. 
because right. otherwise it will rustle as you look through. So I'm mm. saying one side of A4, the rest of it you're going to have to re retain. Okay, yep. But you can like write all over that bit of paper and it can be front and back. Challenge accepted. Great. I think that's all the rules we're going to put in, in place. All right, more exactly rules may hour. develop. Yeah, as we go through. <laughs> if, we, if we find this is good and not a marriage ender. <laughs> <laughs> Watch our marriage slowly dissolve. <laughs> From week to week, as we do this new, uh, as we do this new podcast, yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's it, really. And I hope to start up uh, some sort of social media way of asking for topics in in the future. But for now, we just asked our friends on Facebook, and they delivered. There is something like fifty different topics here. Holy heck! Um, so I've scanned through. And I'm going to give you, um, there's a few here, and I think we'll go down to three, and then you're going to pick the one that you know least about. So you're going to have to be honest about All it. All right. <sighs> okay. Or not. Go on. No, no, no. I'll try to be. So here's some things we had. We had throwing the perfect dinner party, mm -hmm. um, making pizza. We had Dorothea Lang. Uh, we had Scar Music. We had type 1 diabetes. These are all things. So I've decided I would like to hear about one of the following. The Dunning-Kruger effect, which I think would be a very funny one for the first one, bearing in mind what it is. The Russian Revolution or the debate over Shakespeare's authorship. Authorship? Authorship. Well, um, given that I've got a degree in English literature, I feel like the debate over Shakespeare... I probably know a little bit too much about that. Okay. I also know quite a bit about uh, the Russian Revolution. Okay. So um, we're going to do the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think we are going to go for the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think that's very funny for a first episode. Great. So we, I will play a small bit of music now and we'll meet you back in an hour where Laura will have become an expert on, a, on the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Kruger Town, the podcast about just looking at psychological things through a pop cultural lens. Um, and with me this week, we have a wonderful guest, Mrs. Laura Mead. Hello, how are you doing? Hello there. Excellent. And you are one of the world's experts on uh, a certain phenomenon. Uh, what's that? That's right. Well, I used to think I was an expert and then I started learning more about it. That's a Dunning-Kruger joke for you. Great. And um, we'll get it once we know what it is. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm here today to tell you about the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, which was a phenomenon that was first published um, in a scientific paper called Unskilled and Unaware of It, How Difficulties in um, Assessing... You seem a little bit like you don't know the name of this paper. One's own incompetence lead to self-inflated assessments. Uh, that was published in 1999 by David Dunning and Justin Kruger. Um, David Dunning is a professor of psychology at Cornell University in the States. And it was after reading um, something in an almanac, a 1996 almanac, about a bank robber called MacArthur Wheeler 
who had committed two bank robberies where he had gone into branches in full view of cameras mm-hmm. and and then was very surprised when he was caught by the police afterwards because he said, I was wearing the juice and he had read that lemon juice makes invisible ink. So he had covered his face in lemon juice before doing the bank robberies because he was convinced then he would be invisible right. to cameras. Did he not look in a mirror or anything? He took a selfie and apparently the flash of the selfie whited out his face. So he assumed that that was because of the lemon juice. What? When was this, sorry? It was on a Polaroid camera. Oh, right. The, the world's first selfie. <laughs> well, no, I guess people did Polaroids they, like that before. Yeah, they might have done it like that before. But uh, there was a flaw with his plan because the lemon juice stung his eyes, so it made it quite hard for him to see. So he kind of slightly I mean, blinded himself. there was more than one flaw in his plan. <laughs> the other flaw was that lemon juice doesn't make you invisible. Yeah. And you say he did it twice? Yes, two bank robberies. <laughs> What did he? What did he? Why did he do a second one? Well, because I think he thought he'd gotten away with the first one. Right. So anyway, um, they won an Ig Nobel Prize for the research. Which... I mean, you a bit, you're just sort of talking about the history of it, but that wasn't actually the question asked, which was, could you give me a very short uh, overview of, of what it is? Okay, so it's a cognitive bias problem, mm-hmm. which means an error in thinking which where people have a low ability on something, they tend to overestimate their ability. Okay. It's part of something called illusory superiority, and it's the inability of people to recognise their lack of ability. So you know so little about a subject that you don't know how little you know. It's partly that, but also if you don't know too much about it, you're more likely to overestimate how much you know as well it's not synonymous with low iq right so you can have people who are incredibly clever who also experience the dunning-kruger effect so let's take for example somebody who is an amazing scientist Mm -hmm. they may think i can also be a fantastic storyteller as well but maybe they don't have the ability to recognize are my words interesting is my grammar right but because they are an expert scientist they think i'm definitely going to be good at this And the better people get at something, the less likely they are to estimate that they are amongst the best. Is that part of the same effect then? It is part of the same effect. So there's, if you like, if you think about it, there's a sort of a graph which helps chart the progression of this effect. So if the y-axis is your confidence and the x-axis is your experience and your knowledge... Okay. So it sort of soars up to a big peak, which is called Mount Stupid, right. <laughs> where you are very, very confident, but don't have any experience or knowledge. Okay. And then it sloughs down, sloughs down. I don't know. Let the it, bombs it descends, fall. It descends into a sort of the trough of despair and mediocrity. From Mount Stupid into the trough of despair. Yep. Yes. And these are all technical terms that everyone uses, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, they are the ones that I am going to use today. Well, you're an expert and then they... on it, so I'm sure it's actually documented in an academic paper somewhere. I'm sure it is. 
Certainly the graph is uh, available in many different parameters online. So, and then it climbs back up again uh, along the slope of enlightenment, which is a much, much gentler increase. Okay, so just to see if I... Because obviously I'm not an expert at this. As your confidence grows, as you begin to learn about a subject, your confidence goes up and up and up. And then it gets to a certain peak where you realise you know enough not to know anything at all, really. And then your confidence goes all the way back down to the bottom. And then slowly, if you keep talking about the subject, keep studying it, keep looking into it at a very um, slow rate, your confidence begins to build again. Yes, yes, until it, it sort of gets to almost a plateau of expertise. Mm. And funnily enough, people who are in that plateau, who will often underestimate their performance in comparison with others, it's not because they necessarily think that they're that bad. It's because they tend to think that other people are probably trying as hard or as good as them. That's lovely. So people, yeah, that's nice, isn't is it? Is that mostly educated people or all people tend to think that other people are as um, knowledgeable as them? It's mostly educated people. So people who've, who love studying, who have that process of academia uh, as part of their lives, tend to think other people are as academic. Yes. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. Um, I mean... There are lots of fantastic quotes throughout history that shows how this effect has been experienced by people throughout all generations. So there's one on Shakespeare about the fool who knows not that he is the fool and the wise man who believes that he is one. And, but um, I've picked out a couple that I think exemplify the the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm -hmm. um, ignorance frequently, uh, more frequently begets confidence than knowledge was said by Charles Darwin in 1871. And Albert Einstein said, the more I learn, the more I realise how much I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that one before. I like that that idea that, yeah, um, or certainly in my work, there's this idea of conscious and unconscious competence and uh, incompetence? Incompetence. Incompetence, yeah. Incontinence. No, that's something different. <laughs> it is something different, yeah. Um, so as I understand that, there's this idea as you start to learn something you are unconsciously incompetent i.e in fact before you learn something you don't know what you don't know and then as you take those first lessons as you open those first textbooks you get to a point of conscious incompetence in that you know that you don't know and then as you continue to do that i think driving is a really good example of this as you continue to take lessons then you get to a point of conscious competence where you really have to think about it, but you can do the thing. And then finally, when people become experts like yourself, um, it gets to a point where you are unconsciously competent in that you are just good at it and you don't even have to think about it. Is that sort of on the same thing? Well, actually, you might be interested to know that um, driving is one of the things that's often mentioned where there is an average skill level. Mm -hmm. um, and that average skill is fairly high because otherwise the roads would be littered with st uh, sort of smoking wrecks of wrecks cars, of cars yes, everywhere. People who've just popped through their windscreens. Exactly. So people do tend to assume that they are better drivers than they actually are when they're not. Now we talk Something about we've this, noticed don't we? on the road yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. You, I, when we're driving along and we see someone zoom past us, we've often thought. We've often discussed with each other this idea that 
they probably think they're amazing drivers. Oh, did you see how I got past all those people? I'm so much better than everyone else. But really, it's because everyone else is observing the rules of the road that they're allowed to drive like that. If everyone drove like they drove, there'd be a lot more accidents. Absolutely. So they believe they're better than they are because those of us that actually keep to speed limits and are, you know, cautious at junctions are allowing them to... uh, be worse drivers. Would you like to know what the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect is? I'd love to. It's imposter syndrome. Right. Because that having having the level of self-awareness, stepping back and sort of engaging in metacognition, so understanding how little you know about everything, and the idea of having empathy and self-doubt, that's sort of the antithesis of Dunning-Kruger. Right. So... Everybody always assesses themselves on the basis of their own limited and subjective point of view that you can't really help doing that. But knowing... It's the only point of view you can have. Exactly. So there's no point saying like, oh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, that's for stupid people. That's for people who aren't me. The best place to find examples of it is by engaging with your own lack of knowledge or understanding your own lack of knowledge. So again, I guess I'm going to think of myself... Um, I think it might be quite helpful. So I've studied improvisation for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And for the first five, five plus years of that, I was pretty awful. But I didn't know how bad I was. And that allowed me to keep doing it, to go on stage and to slowly, hopefully get better. And I wouldn't, if I had, if I, if I had over, if I had underestimated myself, and knew how awful I was, I wouldn't have gone on stage as often as I did, and I would never have got to a point where I was better. I mean, that is how Dunning-Kruger fits into positive patterns of behaviour, or things that can be positive. Have you ever heard of um, heuristics? I have not. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, um, heuristics are basically mental shortcuts for quick decisions and... Um, oh, like Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yes, yeah, that's that describes a certain type of heuristics. There are loads and loads of different types of ones. Um, some of them are good. Uh, they allow us to do things like get quickly out of dangerous situations. Basically, it's how your how the modern brain, or any brain really makes sense of a huge input of disparate information that would otherwise overwhelm you. So some of it is about pattern recognition or our tendency to look for patterns in things that maybe don't have it. But um, two that I think really sit easily with Dunning-Kruger are the anchoring bias. Mm-hmm. So that's where you Tell rely. Us about the anchoring <laughs> bias. It's possible that I may have engaged in some of that whilst researching for this uh, talk with you today. That's where you rely too heavily on the first piece of information that you learn about a subject <laughs> and you really bring it in, you lean really heavily on that. And right. also and that's called what, sorry? The anchoring bias. Okay. So like you, the first thing you learn about a subject becomes your guiding star because you don't have, as you become more widely read, you'll be able to see um, that it might not be the quite as true in the flaws. But exactly, yeah. okay. exactly. And there's another one, the availability heuristic, which is where you place greater value on information that comes to your mind quickly, which is likely to be the stuff that's closest to your heart or most within your lived experience anyway. So both of those types of heuristics feed into the Dunning-Kruger effect in that if you only know a little bit of things, then you might assume that you are more of an expert than you actually are. 
now that you've explained a bit about it um do you want to know how they actually tested it initially right yeah i was gonna go let's go back to the history so we have these two professors whose mm -hmm. names were well one of them was a professor david dunning and mm -hmm. he picked one of his graduate students who's called justin kruger and uh they conducted four investigations with about 65 participants and in and in these tests they tested the um grammar and humor and logic of the participants and those on the lowest percentiles of those areas so people who say for example they thought that they were funnier than they were right. and they tended to be able to I know people like that <laughs> to, i i also do they tended to dramatically overestimate their performance so they would be in the 12th percentile of the test but they would assume that they were in the 62nd percentile. Is that in all areas or just in the humour area? It would vary, but it, generally speaking, if they weren't very good, they would think they were very good. Great, in all areas. And the thesis of it was that incompetent people are not only poor performers, but they are unable to, to accurately assess the quality of their own work. And here's a quote from David Dunning. In many cases, incompetence does not leave people disoriented, perplexed or cautious. Instead, the incompetent are often blessed with an inappropriate confidence, buoyed by something that feels to them like knowledge. It feels like knowledge, but it, it isn't. It feels like knowledge, but it isn't. And it's amazing how pervasive some of what the experiment is. So have you heard of something called triconsolating? I haven't, Laura. Well, that's good, actually, because that shows that you are not a victim of the Dunning-Kruger effect. That oh. is a phrase that I made up. Oh. So what they did was they had a conversation with people about an area like science or philosophy or language, and they used a lot Wait, of technical terms. are you experimenting terms. on me now? I did. I just did a little experiment on you. They did, they did some terms that were actually part of what somebody with an expertise in that field would know, and then they just tossed in a few completely made-up terms. Right. And they asked people how familiar they were with all of these terms. And 90% of the participants claimed that they knew the made-up terms. Right. And it was only the 10% who were sort of expert who were like, mm, actually, no, sorry, that doesn't ring any bells. Right. So when you get to a point where you really have an expertise in something, then you can be humble enough to admit when you don't know something because... That's how you learn more, right? Say, oh, I, I don't actually know about this. I'm going to have to read up or can I just ask you? So I think some of the, the cleverest people that I know, mm. if you use a word that they don't know, they'll just ask you about that word. Exactly. Or they'll go and look it up in a dictionary later on. It's, it's, a fool, it's the fools that just go, okay, I'll just start using that word without any con contextual clues of what it means. Well, there's a very funny bit in uh, Kissing Jessica Stein, a movie where somebody Great who movie. thinks that they are an intellectual talks about being self-defecating. and um... Well, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if somebody else has to do it for you, then that is a bit difficult. Yeah, only the... human centipedes. There's, um... <laughs> oh... Chris. What, that the it was the only creature I could think of that wasn't self-defecating. You are a cheeky one. The thing is, even when you educate people who are experiencing it about their lack of skill, they often become quite obstinate 
in their confidence about how well they're doing. And this is seen in other areas uh, in the backfire effect. So you'll see it quite often on the internet where people who are expert try and engage people who are not on areas of science, like, I don't know, climate change or population or vaccination, those sorts of things. The more um, practical statistical information that gets fired the more entrenched the other person's position becomes. Oh, we see that all the time on social media. I would say this effect seems to explain so much of those um, internet discussions that spiral out of control. And as you say, people get entrenched in their own opinions. Mm. But I mean, there are some differences to how the effect is applied. And some of them I think you'll probably find quite interesting. Um, so it applies slightly differently to men and women. Um, of course. So women are more likely to underestimate their ability on things like science, engineering, mechanics, mathematics, those sorts of things than men are, even when they score equally well on tests. Um, but that gendered thing does turn over. So men are more likely to underrate the, um, their ability to be empathetic, things like that. So a lot of those biases can be down to... Uh, your social pressures or the emotions or the things that are attached to you. But something that I found really, really interesting was there's a more recent study um, done by Dunning, Miller and Balsitis in 2008. The same Dunning. Yeah, the same Dunning. Right. Because he's, 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 he's onto a winner going. with this. Yeah, he's sure. he's going to keep going. And it looks at uh, cross-cultural differences in how much people overrate themselves relative to reality. So in North America and Europe, it's pervasive. But in Japan and the Far East, it's not. It's not at all so much. People who are less skilled are more likely to be like, yeah, I am less skilled at this. I'm and starting out. I'm a mere padwan. Exactly. Exactly. I have to listen to my sensei. Um, and they theorize that could be because negative feedback on poor performance is more prevalent and honest in those cultures than it is in in um, North America. Well, we have this idea of fake it until you make it, right? Yeah. And that is prevalent in our society. And it's the way people get jobs a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So if we're taught to do it and we're shown that if you do it, you will be become more successful, then it's self-perpetuating to a certain extent, I guess. Well, it complete, I, I completely agree with you that it is. And, it, and if you think about it, the past few decades have seen this kind of willful ignorance or pseudo-certainty as it sometimes gets called, has become really, really prevalent in politics and the media, where the use of very, very, very partisan sources and confirmation bias to justify beliefs um, has really, really polarised sides of the argument and led people into those entrenched positions where they don't understand what the other side is thinking. I'm not saying it's limited to one particular part of the political spectrum or to the... But, Are you not, though? Okay, no, I kind of am. Okay. Like, I feel like anything that is common sense politics and strongman type politics where you have people who are absolutely certain that they are the only one who can fix the problem and don't understand that all of these problems require a great deal of input from lots of different sources and that their solution may not be the only practicable one. You know, you when you have people who maintain that sense of superiority in the face of evidence then you get things like climate change denial denial of evolutions flat denial earthers. of the flat earthers you get people who 
fly in the face of scientific evidence and say, you know, we shouldn't vaccinate. If you don't believe that you are bad or you don't believe that you don't know things, then you'll avoid the remedial action that could stop those things becoming a problem. So I think that's where the Dunning-Kruger effect has the potential to really, really negatively impact on our whole species. And in fact, we're seeing that happen, as you say, in multiple arenas across the world. Completely. So how how do you combat it? That's what I was going to ask next. <laughs> there are um, three main ways. Some of them were suggested by Dunning in part of the original paper. But Can I just been... quickly ask about Dunning? Does Dunning think, well, I know a lot about this subject, but I don't know, a, you know, there's still a lot more to learn. <laughs> I, you have to hope that he... <laughs> You have to hope that he does. Um, I I imagine that he's probably a morass of self-doubt and criticism, as you would end up being. All my favourite people are, I have to say, all my favourite people in the world are racked with indecision and anxiety. I think the best people just are. There we go. That's what I think. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. So- <laughs> I like that you do that. <laughs> As a direct compliment. <laughs> of course I did. Um, so the best way that you can combat it is one, keep learning and practicing and digging deeper into whatever your area of expertise is. That's the first thing. Second is to ask other people for feedback and for criticism in particular and be open to listening them to them. So if you notice within yourself a, um, a tendency not to want to get feedback mm. then you're probably more likely under that effect if you don't want to hear people's opinions if you're scared if you note within you this feeling that you don't i think probably if you're scared and don't want it then you're not under the effect but if you feel like you don't need it because you've already perfected it then you might be right got it and the other thing is probably one of the hardest uh, is to always be questioning what you know and seeking out information that challenges you or opposes your beliefs. So I feel like that's probably something we could all do a little bit better. Mm. Like there is, of course... Get out of that echo chamber. Exactly, yeah. Learn more from other people. Of course, then you wind up with the difficulty of not all information is valuable in and of itself. How much effort do you want to put in to actually reaching that mediocre valley or that plateau of expertise, rather the than being like... famous mediocre valley that everyone <laughs> knows about. Like, all of these things take effort and time, which is why we have the heuristics that allow us to jump to these conclusions and allow us to function day to day so that we're not all just gibbering wrecks, second-guessing ourselves the whole time. And I guess there is that thing that it does allow us to get better. As long as we do keep going, it, it does help us in the early stages of perfecting any new skill or area of knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. Well, so I guess I want to finish by asking, or, or coming back to something I think you said at the beginning, which is this idea of, this is not something, we're not talking about ignorant, stupid people here. We're talking about ourselves. We've all, we've all been this at some point. Yeah. No one is, is immune to it. Even if you could be, you know, you know one subject so well that you are past this point now and you recognise you know nothing. Well, we, we're all students of multiple areas. If you've ever watched an astrophysicist trying to screw in 
a door hinge, I have, yeah, then you yeah. know, <laughs> then you probably understand a little bit about. Uh, but whether or not they would experience the Dunning Kruger effect and be like, "I am the best door hinge screwing in person in the world," I've mapped star systems, so <laughs> of, of course, course I, I can, can hang this door, fit these tiles to this wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic! Uh, that that's amazing, and I think I, what I really love is those three areas of uh, the, where you can kind of self-diagnose um, that you were talking about earlier. Do you want to just go through those succinct, succinctly what, one more time? Three areas that you can... Diagnose if you are currently suffering from it. It's not so much currently suffering as things that you can do to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first is really dig deep, learn more about your subject. The more that you know, the more you realise that you don't know. Mm -hmm. The second is to ask for criticism. And um, feedback, especially from a group of people who are diverse, because if everybody who you're asking for feedback is the same as you, you're just going to get confirmation bias. Um, and how is it helpful to have people go, oh, never change. Do exactly the same thing as you've always done. Feels lovely. <laughs> There's no growth in that. And the third thing is to confront yourself with points of view that are dissimilar to yours see the reason i got you to repeat them is i just think those are beautiful behaviors that people should just model in in life anyway that's yeah. all great stuff isn't it yeah I think. I think so yeah well that's fantastic thank you so much i know you're incredibly busy so thank you so much for coming on and telling us a bit more about it you are most welcome and that's the end of episode one. Hooray! Yay! It worked. I think it worked. I was really interested. Oh, thank I you. I tell you what, if our listeners are half as interested as I was in that discussion, then I think we've got a good podcast. Yes, good. We're Let's holding hold hands. hands. We're holding hands now. Uh, yeah, that was really great. How how was it to do first time? Um, Gosh, well, I read um, a lot of... You seem to have. I read a lot of medical papers or psychological papers. I also read a lot of web comics. Then I got quite into looking at all of the different sort of political connotations of it. A mm. couple of examples of gender bias and also racial bias and um, different, how it applies in different cultures. I'm really glad we did this as a, for the first one because I think it, it shows that we are aware of how silly what we're doing is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quite. Quite, but it was fun. Did um, you know what the biggest problem was? What? I write so little with a pen and paper these days that now my hand is very sore. Mm. I, what I thought was interesting was you you were really, you used the paper as a security blanket for the first five minutes. And then after that, you you didn't anymore. So first of all, you, you know, we saw you kind of rushed into just telling me everything you'd learned in a kind of unstructured order rather than me interviewing you. And then after about five minutes, you were just like, just answering the questions and it all just, it just flowed out of you. You didn't, you didn't seem to be needing the notes in the same way. But well, I don't know. Well, that's uh, because I'm an expert. No. <laughs> no, it was just, it was just interesting. I did, I was like, oh, I hope she doesn't just sort of read her notes. And I, I just want to let listeners know who couldn't see that she wasn't really after the first few minutes she... She just seemed to have all of that stuff on the tip of her brain. There was a, a, something that I didn't get to bring up, which I really, really wished I had. But I didn't write it down in my notes. Can I just yeah, so course. quickly? So um, the, the trope of the hyper confident fool in popular culture um, 
is linked to there's a German concept. David Brent. Yes, David. Exactly, David Brent, Steve Carell in the office. Um, most Will Ferrell Michael characters. Scott. Exactly. Um, it's the German concept of Fremdscham, which is the embarrassment that you feel vicariously for others, especially those who are so ignorant that they're unaware that they should be embarrassed for themselves. <laughs> so it's a sort of like the mockumentary cringe humor thing which you hate which i hate because oh it just oh, it makes me so uncomfortable but that's that's a direct corollary to the dunning kruger effect in the field of humor and finally i think a section that we'll do each week is is there anything that you just completely made up during the course of the interview that you could just say uh yeah were there any parts that when when i talked about it you were like i don't know so i'm just gonna busk this yeah, um, no, the, I, uh, there were parts that I completely made up. Um, triconsolating is not a thing. Sure, but you said that that was a test, right? <laughs> yes, it was a test. Mm. But I did have to rack my brains a little bit to think of a word that wasn't a word. If you know what I mean. Not consolating, not duo consolating. No, Triconsolating. Tri Fantastic. Well, I've had a lovely time. I think we'll be back next week doing this again. Even if no one listens, I think this is quite fun. Yes. Um, so see you next week. Yes. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. And that's our show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at ixpodcast at hotmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram at ixpodcast. It's all IX podcast. We thought it was edgy. <laughs> <laughs>